God is good. It is so good to be with you all. My name is Justin, serve as a pastor here at CLB. So glad to be with you here this morning as we continue on in our series in John. Before we dive in, I just want to have a simple participation with the congregation here this morning. By a simple raise of hands, would you raise your hand if you feel like these songs are, are good to your soul, but yet you would admit that you're coming in this morning maybe a little tired. I'm there, tired maybe physically, maybe emotionally, maybe even a little spiritually. And this next one, you don't have to raise your hand, but in your mind, raise your hand if you would say that you've been killing it in your intimacy with God lately. You don't have to raise it, don't have to raise it, in your mind. And this isn't to shame you, but I ask these two questions because there is a direct correlation. Friends, if you're coming in here tired and your soul feels weary, friends, there is a direct correlation to your intimacy with God. And I ask these questions because I think what gets to the root of the issue when we feel weary, most times, more times than not, it goes because there is a denial of Jesus in some way, shape, or form. Friends, we're going to be looking at a passage this morning, a pretty well-known, perhaps, story of Peter denying Jesus, and Jesus will then restore Peter. And friends, if you're here this morning and you feel like maybe your denial of Jesus, maybe it's a denial in trusting him with something or someone in your life, maybe it's a denial of hoping in him, even though you know he is your only hope. Whatever it is, friends, we all are prone to be deniers of Jesus in some shape or fashion. And the story that we're going to see here in Peter's denial, we're going to see that Jesus restores. Jesus restores the one who denies Jesus. And just like Peter, we are all in desperate need to be restored. Amen. And this morning I've prepared a sermon called God Restores Those Who Love Him. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open. We'll be in John chapter 18, picking up where we left off. Jesus is being betrayed by Judas and taken away by hundreds of these soldiers and now is going to face a ridiculous sham of a trial at the midnight hour where they will find absolutely no wrong and no guilt in Jesus. Meanwhile, we're going to focus in on kind of the main character of our story this morning, Peter. Peter, meanwhile, has just been rebuked by Jesus for cutting off some dude's ear Uh, Peter gets rebuked a lot. You'll notice that about Peter. And Peter is trying to make up for it now. John and Peter are the only two disciples that we have recorded who go and follow Jesus now, being taken away to this sham of a trial at the midnight hour. And John has an in with the high priest Caiaphas, and John can get in a little further, but Peter is left as far as the courtyard. And at this point, Peter is standing now, left with these soldiers and servants, and Here in the story at this point, a servant girl. This little girl we see in John 18, starting verse 17. Let's look into the encounter between her and Peter. John writes that the servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now, the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. So we're going to see three denials. Denial number one, we're going to see Peter deny Jesus in front of a little girl. Peter responds with a very quick and very simple, I am not. No, I'm, not I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm not associated with that, with that dude. Peter begins to huddle around these charcoal fires, which you'll see this is a theme 
uh, that John continues to write and thread throughout the story, that Peter begins to huddle around these charcoal fires for warmth and comfort. Peter is deliberately trying now to blend in and, and be a little incognito that I don't want to be associated with Jesus. I don't want to be noticed. I'd like to just fit in and warm myself by this fire. And we'll see that here again in denial number two if we read on in verse 25. And 26. Now Simon Peter was again standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. We see going on. So that's denial number two. Denial number three, verse 26. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter once again denied it and at once a rooster crowed. So we, again, see three denials. Number two and number three, Peter's warming himself by these fires. Servant comes up. The third time, it's the, the relative of the guy who got his ear cut off. And he says, hey, didn't I see you cut off my nephew's ear? And you're surely one of Jesus' disciples. I saw it with my own eyes. And Peter, we'll see in the later accounts of the gospel account of Matthew, it even goes so far to say that Peter begins to cuss and to actually prove and try to show them, I, I do not belong to this man. I don't know him. And at once a rooster crows, and we see that other gospel accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, eyewitness accounts, and show us that Peter immediately goes out and weeps bitterly. So a, perhaps a commonly well-known story of Peter denying Jesus three times, just as Jesus has predicted a handful of chapters back when Peter is boasting in his devotion and his love for Jesus. In front of all the disciples, as Peter is just the first one to always jump in, he's the one to walk on water, he's the first to recognize Jesus as the Christ, and he is the first to cut off some dude's ears to try to fight for Jesus. Peter's always being rebuked, always the first, always the most zealous, and always the most boastful. Peter has a lot of pride. And he's boasting in this account when Jesus actually rebukes him and says, Peter, you say that you'll never stumble like these other disciples, and yet you will deny me three times and the rooster will crow. And that is exactly what has just happened. Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. He realizes what happened and what he has done. And I think the temptation for us is to look in on the story. And I think the temptation for all of us, including myself, is to be really hard on Peter. It's to look at him and say, dude, you, you deny Jesus to a Girl Scout, essentially. You can't even, like, you're the most bold man. You just cut off a dude's ear, and now you can't stand up to a little girl? Peter, what are you doing here? Why are you so soft, bro? <laughs> I think that's the temptation. We can be hard on Peter, and we see that Peter denies Jesus three times. But, friends, if we were to answer honestly, how many times have we denied Jesus? How many times have we denied Jesus? I'm going to guess it's probably more than three times in our life. Maybe even more than three times even this morning. And I want to be very clear that denying Jesus is not forsaking Jesus. It's not rejecting Jesus. It's not walking away from Jesus and walking away from Christianity. But denying Jesus can take very small and subtle forms in our life. For instance, denying Jesus can look like denying to share our faith with coworkers. Denying Jesus can look like denying to share Jesus with family, friends, and neighbors. Denying Jesus can look like denying to speak up when there's a lot of clamor about the world losing hope and going to hell in a handbasket, and yet we have the very hope of Jesus that says otherwise. 
Jesus, denying Jesus can look like men. Us men denying to lead our brides in prayer. Denying Jesus can look like denying to lead our kids in Bible reading. Denying Jesus can look like denying to send the text, denying to make the phone call to the friend you know is in need. Denying Jesus can look like denying to go low in city group and refusing, denying to go low and counting others as more significant than yourself. Denying Jesus can look like esteeming self, creating unfair, unrealistic, and unspoken expectations that if unmet, will certainly not go unpunished. We can deny Jesus in all of these ways daily. I confess that I am guilty to the, the full list and, and so much more. And the question, why do we deny Jesus? Why did Peter deny Jesus? Well, I think, friends, the reason we deny Jesus is because we refuse to deny ourselves. The Bible is very clear that there's one of two people in your life that you will deny. You will either deny yourself or you deny God. It's as simple as that. Every one of us will deny someone in this life. Will you deny yourself or will you deny God? And the reason I think we deny ourselves or deny God rather than ourselves is because I think friends were afraid to lose something from following Jesus. We're afraid to lose the reputation. We're afraid to lose a relationship. We're afraid to lose comfort and convenience. We're afraid to lose something. And I think what that does for us is it immediately makes us go defensive mode and we begin to deny someone else rather than ourselves. And friends, I know what it's like to be completely honest. I, I feel like this season, I'm going to confess, recently I've just felt really distracted lately. Anyone else feel distracted? You know what it's like. It just feels like spiritually it's the fire that was once there and enjoying Bible reading, spending time with the Father in prayer is just barely a wicker right now. I feel so distracted and feeling like instead of denying myself, I'm denying Jesus in a lot of other areas of my life and instead running to things like TV and movies, running to food and comfort in those ways, refusing to deny myself because I deny the hope that is in Jesus by hoping rather in the next vacation or trip or the honeymoon that I didn't get to take this last week. <laughs> I think I see myself denying Jesus when I deny to run to him instead of social media. Spending way more time and on Facebook and Instagram and on, if I'm, my new favorite has been Zillow and uh, Wayfair and Target, all of those things that aren't bad things, but if I'm honest, I find myself denying Jesus. I find myself spending way more time there instead of denying myself and actually going to where my soul can find true rest. I think I keep finding myself with the mentality that if I can just look over the next horizon, something will finally satisfy my wandering soul. And friends, that thing never comes. And I think if any of these things could speak audibly to me in a non-creepy way, I think they would say the same thing that the little girl said to Peter. Addressing me in my sin and saying, don't you belong to Jesus? And I think my heart would be very quick and quiet, just like Peter would say, no, 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 it's, it's fine. It's fine. I'm, ju I'm just seeking a little rest, right? Just trying to get healthy. That's kind of the, the buzzword. We, I want to be healthy. I want to be just getting rest. 
And in doing so, I actually deny Jesus and ultimately end up denying his rest. Friends, essentially, when we deny Jesus and we do not deny ourselves, what we're doing is actually saying that I need some rest, but I need rest from following Jesus. That's what I'm ultimately saying. Jesus, your yoke has gotten a little heavy, and I'd like a little break from following you if that's okay. An hour on YouTube, an hour on ESPN, I'd like a little rest from following you, Jesus. It's not like I'm forsaking you. It's not like I'm rejecting you, but friends, we're denying him. We're denying him. We're denying the intimacy he longs for and is blood-bought for us. We are denying the rest that our souls truly need. So friends, if you're feeling weary this morning, let me point us to Jesus. The rest for your soul, the rest that we continue to deny. Friends, it's just like Peter. In those charcoal fires, we begin to kind of blend in and feel like it's okay. If I can just warm myself by this little fire, if I can just get on and do some online shopping, go on a little trip, find the next thing I can buy, it's like the nice, warm fire that I'd like to just sit at and blend in. And what happens, friends, is we begin to look more and more like the world, just like Peter. As he began to look more and more like those servants and those soldiers who had just turned over Jesus. And just like a moth to a bug light, we find ourselves getting closer and closer to the death that Jesus experienced. Maybe not a physical death, but a spiritual death where we feel like our heart is beginning to harden more and more. As it begins to feel emptier and emptier, thirstier and thirstier, and yet drier and drier because we refuse to drink from the living water. And friends, it's been for me lately as the Spirit's conviction has come to me recently. And I think just like Peter would have felt when the rooster crowed is when the Holy Spirit's conviction is exactly what it felt like. The rooster crowed, the Holy Spirit convicted me, and I was sobered up and found myself, how did I even get here? Have you found yourself like that, friends? In places where, how did I get here? I, I, I look back in my life, and I used to be on fire for Jesus. I wanted to win the world for Christ, advance his kingdom, be a vessel, worshiper, a servant. And now here I am huddled around these charcoal fires, having no idea how I got here. And my heart feels so hard right now. And yet by God's grace, the Holy Spirit convicts and draws us back to true rest if we would but receive it by faith. And friends, I can tell you, I wish I could stand here and tell you that I've just been completely restored, right? This is a message on restoration. I wish I could tell you that I've just completely killed it this last week as I prepared this sermon and been so intimate with Jesus that I just feel like I'm just overflowing and, and even better than I was before, before. But friends, that's just not where I'm at. I feel like it's been a struggle to open my Bible in the morning. I feel more distracted than I ever have. I feel like there's, every time I sit down, I have a thousand things on my mind to do, and I end up spending five minutes in the Word dwelling on the verse of the day instead. And there's nothing wrong with that, but friends, what I'm missing out on is so much greater than what I settle for. And it's because I deny Jesus, and I refuse to deny myself. And friends, I can proclaim and 
boast in Jesus that it has gotten better, but I am still a work in progress that this restoration is not an overnight thing, nor does it ever really seem to be when it comes to following Jesus in this way. Restoration is a lifelong process. It is continually in and out of season where we need restored, and Jesus is our restorer. And friends, I'm so glad that even though I'm in the season where it feels like it's dimly lit right now, Maybe you're in a season where it's even dimmer. But friends, I, I want to point us to the good news of the gospel that no one who belongs to Jesus, no one's story ends that way. And we'll see that as we continue on in the text, we see Peter. Peter's story doesn't end here, and neither does ours. Jesus will go on from this sham of a trial, be handed over to Herod and back to Pilate, and Pilate will be a coward to hand over Jesus to the religious leaders to be crucified on a Roman cross. Jesus will willfully lay down his life to spare sinners. And then Jesus will take on all of our sins, all of our unrighteousness, every sin that we have ever committed, past, present, and future, and he will absorb that, he will take that, and he will pay for it completely on the cross with his blood, and he will not stay dead. Three days later, Jesus will take up the very life he laid down, and he will raise in victory for anyone who would call upon him to say, Jesus, I repent of my sins. I have a grief that actually makes me want to do something about the sins that I have committed against you and you alone. And it is so much that I will turn from them and toward, turn towards you in faith. And I trust that you can forgive me. Just like Jake testified, that you can make me clean, you can make me a son, and there is nothing I'd rather do than that. And Jesus, you can run my life. I want you to run my life. Be my Lord, be my Savior. Save me from a life without you. Save me from the sins that I have committed. Save me from the wrath and the hell that I rightfully deserve, and yet you have taken from me. Friends, this is the good news. This is the resurrection life that Jesus now has taken up and offers to all, and he will now reappear to his disciples in our story. And if we would pick up, this is now, let me set the scene, the third reappearance now. Jesus has died and rose from the grave in victory. The Easter Sunday we're about to celebrate here in a couple weeks, and now he is appearing to his disciples for the third time. And this is an amazing story of restoration, where Peter will be restored by Jesus himself. If we begin in John chapter 21, flip over a couple pages, I'll set the scene for us. Peter and the other disciples are fishing, and they are fishing all night, it says, and they don't catch any fish, which just probably, they shouldn't be fishermen. I feel like there's always the stories in the Bible that they fish and they no, never catch anything. But anyway, Jesus sees that. He's on the shore. They're fishing all night. And Jesus calls out from shore. And he says, fellows, have you caught anything? And they say, no, we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught anything. And Jesus says, well, try casting your nets on the right side of the boat. And they immediately drop down the nets and they carry a, a haul of fish that is so much they can't even pull it up. And John, the writer of John, recognizes that something this wonderful could only come from one person. And he recognizes the kindness of who this came from. And he immediately cries out, it is the Lord. And Peter, Peter's the first to dive in the water. It says that they're about 100 yards out. So that's the length of a football field. P Peter dives out of the boat, 100 yards out, swims eagerly to meet Jesus. 
says that Jesus is waiting for them with a charcoal fire. And he's cooking them breakfast. And that's where we pick up the scene here if we're in verse chap- or chapter 21, verse uh, 15. And pay close attention, friends. This is an absolutely fascinating encounter that we will see between Jesus and Peter. John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Friends, this is an amazing encounter as we begin to look at this first question that Jesus asks Peter. The word that Jesus uses for love is the word agape, which means an unconditional, all-giving love. Jesus asks Simon Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with everything unconditionally? But if we notice Peter's response, Peter does not use the word agape. Peter uses the word phileo for love. When he says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Phileo, friends, just means a brotherly affection, like you love a best friend. And if we notice, it is the same response as Jesus asks a second time in verse 16. He said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Same thing. Jesus asks Peter, Simon, do you agape me? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. There's a reason for this. Because Peter understands that he has denied Jesus. And the love that he once boasted in is a love that he can no longer boast in. Peter is humble to the point where he sees what's in his sinful heart and he cannot bring himself to say, Jesus, yes, I agape you. Rather, I phileo you. I I love you like a brother. I love you like a best friend. But I, I can't bring myself to say that I truly love you with everything because clearly I have shown you that I don't. In the last encounter, verse 17, Jesus asks one more time, but it's a little different if you look in here. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. The friends, Jesus asked one more time. Peter's grieved. And it's important to note that Peter is not grieved because he thinks Jesus is here to shame him or condemn him. He knows that Jesus is not. He knows that Jesus is restoring him. He knows it's no coincidence that Jesus is asking him, do you love me, three times for every one of the three times he denied him. Peter knows that Jesus, in his grace, gentleness, and kindness, is restoring him. And yet Peter is grieved because he knows that he denied Jesus three times. He is heartbroken that he must confess to all three denials and must confess to the need to be restored all three times. And Peter is broken that he had to do that to the one he loves. In case you miss it, again, just notice how gentle and how kind Jesus truly is. He is such a good shepherd. He is such a friend of sinners. Notice what Jesus does not ask Peter. Jesus could have asked any question to Peter, but 
Notice what he did not ask him. And in the same way, when we have maybe felt like we have denied Jesus in any of those ways spoken or any other way that we have denied Jesus or are in denial even now. Notice that Jesus does not ask Peter, nor does he ask any one of us, how sorry are you? Jesus doesn't ask, so you promise never to do it again? Or how will you make it up to me? And how will you work to earn my love and trust again, Peter? Rather, the question that Jesus asked Peter, the question he asks every one of us who feels like we have denied Jesus lately is, do you love me? And if we notice again just how intimately and quickly Jesus is to meet Peter right where he's at the third time. If you actually study this passage, Jesus asked Peter, do you phileo me? He meets Peter where he's at because he sees Peter's heart. And just like Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Which means Peter is saying, Jesus, you know my heart. And Jesus, you know my heart even better than I do. We see that Peter has been restored now. Peter is not the same Peter that he once was, quick to jump in and quick to boast in his love for Jesus. But rather, Peter is now a humble man, restored to a greater man than he was ever before. One who is now only boasting in the love that Jesus has for him. And as Peter trusts that Jesus sees his heart and how much his sinful heart is capable of, he trusts that that is the heart that Jesus will receive. And friends, that is the heart that Jesus does receive. It is a heart that does not boast in its zeal or passion or love or devotion for Jesus, but rather boasts in the opposite. Boasts in weakness and boasts in the very love devotion that Jesus has for us. That is the heart that God will restore. And if we look at Peter's response, it's just so interesting to know that he can't use the word agape. He can't boast in saying, Jesus, I love you with everything. And yet he banks his trust that he will be received by Jesus because he knows that Jesus knows his heart. And friends, if you need encouragement this morning. If you feel like your heart doesn't love Jesus very much right now, but you love Jesus, at the end of the day, you know that your heart loves Jesus with everything it's got, even if everything you've got doesn't seem like much right now. That you can trust that Jesus will receive that heart. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Friends, if all you got right now is very little, that's all he calls you to. If all you got is this big, God says, that's all I've called you to. If that's all your heart, that's all your heart. And I will restore everything that you have lost if you would come to me. Because I know that you love me. And if we look at one more detail of this story, in case you missed it, just how personal, again, Jesus is with Peter. It's amazing how many details in this encounter that shows just how willing and eager Jesus is to meet Peter and all of us where we're at in our denial of Jesus. If we remember the first time that Jesus called Peter and the disciples, they were 
fishing, very much like chapter 21. Actually, a very similar, if not identical, situation. They have been fishing all night and have caught, again, nothing. And Jesus says, try casting your nets one more time. And they do. And it says they catch a, a haul of fish so large that the boat actually begins to sink. Again, a very similar situation that we see in chapter 21. But notice Peter's first response when he's first called by Jesus is actually very different from the one we see here in chapter 21. We know that in this first encounter, Peter actually begs Jesus to leave him. As soon as Jesus creates this miracle where they get this haul of fish, Peter actually says the words, Lord, go away from me, for I'm a sinful man. He's begging Jesus, you should leave me. Please just leave me. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. I am a sinner. I don't have faith. I don't love you with everything. But this time, notice what Peter's response was. Peter was quick to dive into the water 100 yards out to swim quickly and eagerly to meet Jesus on the shore. Friends, this is no coincidence in this detail of the story. Jesus is showing Peter, in the same way I first called you, is the same way I call you now. By simple faith, by a simple love for me, Jesus is showing Peter where Peter feels defeated, feeling like, God, I have denied you. How could I ever be used by you again? And Jesus says, I call you again, Peter. I call you with the same love that I had for you in the beginning. The same love that is still offered to you if you would but receive it by faith. And Peter's response is the response that should be each one of ours. In time of sinning, Peter, when he first was caught in sin, would hide from Jesus. And now Peter's initial reaction when caught in sin is to run to Jesus. And friends, this is a game changer. If you want more intimacy, if you want to experience the grace of the gospel more fully, you will see how you respond when you get caught in sin. Do you hide from Jesus or do you run to Jesus? That is the game changer. If you want a heart to be, your heart to be restored, when caught in denying Jesus in your sin, the key is to run to Jesus, not to hide from Jesus. And we see that modeled by Peter because when Peter goes to Jesus, when he runs to Jesus in his sin and denial, Jesus restores him completely, even better than when Jesus found him. So friends, the plea this morning is if your heart is weary and you find yourself neck deep in your sin, denying Jesus lately, just like me. The call is very simple. The invite is very simple. Run to Jesus and let him restore you. He knows that you love him. You can trust that he knows that you love him and he will restore you. He will restore your weary soul. Psalm 23.3. He will restore to you the joy of your salvation. Psalm 51.12. He will restore your confidence in approaching his throne of grace where there is no condemnation nor shame. Hebrews 4.16 and Romans 8.1. He will restore your peace in a chaotic world. John 14.27. He will restore your hope in a hopeless world. Romans 5.2. Just as he will one day restore 
this entire world with a new heavens, a new earth. And he will come back for his bride to wipe away every one of her tears. He will heal every sickness and pain in her body. And he will restore everything sin, Satan, and death has stolen from her. Jesus will come back to restore his rightful rule and reign to the praise of his glorious grace. Friends, if you are a believer, if you have bowed your knee to Jesus and you love him, let him restore you. He will restore you either now or in the next life. That is a 100% guarantee. You can bank your life on that. If you belong to Jesus. And if you don't, you can. You can belong to Jesus just as Jake prayed. It is a simple prayer, a way of turning from your sin and saying, Jesus, run my life. I want to be restored. I want to experience the restoration that you have bought for me with your life. And your resurrection is the life I now want to live. And friends, the final appeal here, appeal here for you, and I'll leave you with this. Don't try to restore yourself this morning. It's not what God is asking you to do. He is the restorer. He is the one who makes all things new. And he can make you new once again with the same calling that he had for you when you first began this journey. When you first bowed your knee to Jesus, is the same love, the same calling, the same anointing, the same filling that he would be more than happy to give you if you would come to him, if you would run to him, if you would trust him. Friends, you are not too messy, you are not too far gone, you are not too distracted, and you are not too busy to be restored by the restorer who has promised to restore all things. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are the restorer of all things, that everything we lost in the garden can be gained through the new Adam. I thank you that life lost, anything lost in this world will one day be paid a hundredfold, just as you told the disciples. I think of Peter's words, how he prayed and said, or how he spoke to you and said, Jesus, have we not left everything to follow you? And Jesus rebukes him. Jesus, you rebuked him and said, Peter, anyone who has left father or mother or anything for me will not be repaid in heaven I thank you Jesus that you show us that your restoration is not primarily in the hope of restoration in this life but in the next and that everything lost maybe even those who feel bitter saying Jesus I follow you and why does it seem like I'm losing so much and you gently correct us and remind us that everything lost will be gained back a hundredfold thank you for your promise. We thank you that that promise is blood-bought and it is sealed by an empty tomb, guaranteed by the spirit that testifies in us now as sons and daughters. Would we come to you and run to you rather than hide from